and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. Now, that first song we sang is one of my favourites. I think it speaks about my life and that's why I love it. And uh, we showed that uh, clip because um, it's collaboration week this week. So we're going to have more than Anth's voice. We're going to have other voices speaking. And the, um, it seemed to resonate with such a lot of people, the idea of accepting the white canvas. And uh, what you see is what you see. Um, so that's why we showed it. There'll be other things that uh, other people want to bring as well. But I want to just, you know, again, start by saying, look, the, the talks that we have are short. Get online, listen to them because they are great and they are relevant to life. We're not just talking about stuff that doesn't matter. It's things that will cross your path every single day of your life and they're there to equip you. So please uh, do uh, check back at, at those talks on the website. But I really love it when things can be put into words. And I found that the series Anth did on the danger of isms was just wonderful because it helps me incredibly so. And also recognising this issue that uh, often we get into isms because of a reaction to another ism. And that is my life in many ways because, and, I, and I'll tell you a bit more as we, we go along, but um, what you see is what you see. And for those who feel their life has been painted in every detail, a cluttered canvas of everyone else's idea, ideas, we are going to think that it's marvellous. And I know some of you resonated with that, saying, yes, give me a white canvas so I can draw my own painting, not having to accept the, the clutter of somebody else. And, you know, Anthony was saying, if you've been overburdened by meaning in your life, you see, everything for me has had to have a meaning all my life, that sometimes I just want to do something because I want to do it, not because it has a, some great significant meaning. Do, do, do you get my point? So for me, it's been very powerful. So a blank canvas. Some want detail, but others want space for creative energy. Can we live alongside both? And that's the key, isn't it? Because if we can't, we end up in the isms of either side, which cre creates division. Now, I'm not going to re reteach what Anth taught because I want to, you know, bring it more, more home. But what Anth was saying was it's important that space is provided for your interpretation. Oh, heck, we're starting to get dangerous now, aren't we? When any, everybody can have their own interpretation. And darkness is as, is, as, is as important as light and what is not there is, as is, oh, I can't say this, can I? What is not there is as important as what 
is there? Now that's powerful stuff. Oh, no, no, no. You have to, you know, see it this way. No, I would rather see nothing there. And that's okay. Are you following me? So anyway, in our time, we need a God freed from the clutter of everyone else's expression. Now, I've put in brackets after this, my mum will be turning in her grave because that was something she would not have stood for. Because when you look at Jesus, you recognise that maybe he was the minimalist painting that was held up against the express legalism of the time. They'd said, this is what God looked like. And Jesus came and said, no, he doesn't. Do you get me? But he also then said to Peter, who do you say that I am? What, me? Who do you say that God is or who Jesus is? And we always have believed that the answer came because Peter says, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that that's the answer that we all must have. But I'm not sure anymore. I think we're all on a journey and we have to come to things in our own way. So everyone looks at life through an ism, which is a distinctive belief of specific practice that is accepted as an authority by a group. And you just recognise that sometimes things have got to be jettisoned. I was looking at an illustration of a rocket that goes into space and it has huge fuel tanks next to it. But before it goes into orbit, what must it get rid of? It must jettison those fuel tanks, or otherwise it, it will be too burdened um, and not be able to do what it was built to do. And I think sometimes our isms have really done that to us and held us to the ground. We become burdened by what we refuse to jettison. So admitting our isms is hard. Often without them, one is seen as lacking passion and strength of opinion. Now, I've really found that to be true. See, I was a paid-up member of the absolute party, absolutism, which led me to be a fundamentalist in the camp of fundamentalism, which then led me to be very judgmental in the judgmentalism camp and to, to believe that there is an absolute truth that applies to everyone everywhere at all times is not only not sensible, it can actually be very dangerous and we come across it all of the time. So I had to come out of that absolutism camp and realise that it's only a way of seeing, not the way of seeing. And that's so important. Now, it took me years to make friends with ambiguity. Remember what I've said about it? It's be being something, the state of being something, not a distinctive belief that comes with an authority behind it, but a state of being something. Open to more than one interpretation. What? You mean there can be more than one? I'll tell you what, it's taken me years to believe there can be more than one interpretation of something and I'm only just growing into it. And interestingly enough, I was saying to Danny just before we started, I was liked far more and listened to way more when I was a passionate absolutist. It's hilarious really, but people tend to only want your advice if they believe you have the answer. If they think, well, you're just going to give me a possibility or say, well, what do you think? They're not going to talk to me, are they, very much anymore. So it's great. I've been really freed from all of that. It's absolutely fantastic. So anyway, we love a passionate person 
and believe it to be a good thing. But often the degree of our passion is equal to the degree to which we have invested ourselves in an ism. And the intensity of the deconstruction you experience will be equal to the intensity of the devotion you had to the ism. Now, I'm saying that not because I read it in a book, because I've understood that was me. And so I've had to feel the pain of deconstructing for something that I was so engrossed in. Some of you struggle to understand what we mean by the word deconstruction or the deconstruction of our beliefs because you have never been devoted or invested to that same degree in anything. But anyway, no one knows what is best for anyone else. And ultimately, all isms will fail because of this. Makes sense, doesn't it? So anyway, I'm realising so much that the ism I lived in for many years was a bubble that denied reality in order to inspire confidence in a world that was filled with anxiety. But I can see now that anxiety is truly the dizziness of freedom, as Kierkegaard so beautifully put it, and just the wind blowing on the open seas. It is not a lack of faith. So my mum used to love a song, uh, or should I say, she loved Frank Sinatra, but she hated the song he sang, which was, I did it my way. Because in her opinion, it was a sign that he had sealed his fate and was headed to a lost eternity, which was a far nicer way of saying that he was going to burn in hell because he refused to get saved. Now, you see, what happened, all was not lost because suddenly some wonderful Christian took hold of it and changed the words and they began singing it in all the churches because they changed the words to, I did it his way. Somebody go, yuck. Thank you, yuck. So, the task of religion is not to turn us into proper believers. It is to deepen the personal within us, to embrace the power of life, to expand our consciousness in order that we might see things that eyes do not normally see. So, what do I see in my picture? And I say, my picture. And if you'll just give me another couple of minutes, because we don't often run past an hour, and for one hour a week, I think you can manage, or a little bit longer today, I want to read a poem that uh, really just get, gives you a look at my picture, but this doesn't have to be yours. Is that okay? That's great, isn't it? So I won't go too fast, but I will try to keep quick. I had to leave the path to find my way. I had to get lost to find God. I had to fall off the edge of the map to find a home that changes its address every time I take another step forward. However, before we did any of that, I spent most of my life searching for peace by walking the same warm path that everyone else was taking. I was walking with everybody as we followed the dusty trail that we were told would lead us to the promised river of life. We were like ants, marching together in line through the desert. Are we almost there? I'd ask over and over. Have faith, I was told by the lead ant. I got so thirsty, so tired, so scared. Over time, I realised that we were just walking in a great circle. I think we've been here before, I'd comment. Have faith, the lead ant would reply. 
Having faith in the ancient map we were following seemed like a luxury for those who had stronger spines. So one night I slipped out of the line and off the path and into the vastness and straight into the uncharted territory of my heart. I've been in the wild for so long with only my heart as a compass that thumps harder whenever I get close to an angel. And last night my heart almost burst through my chest. Yet, I don't think that means I'm getting closer to what I'm searching for because God isn't a destination. God is the journey. God isn't an X in the ground. God is a Y on my tongue. God is the sunlight peeking through the deep woods I'm exploring. God is the soil between my toes that squeeze through every time I sit down to watch the sunset. God is the endless horizon that I am constantly chasing. God isn't a where, God is a here. I'm a nomad whose principal theology is to never quit searching. I'm a member of the church of seeking hands. I believe in the canon of exploration. I'm lost in the vast expanse of an undiscovered land of exotic doubts and psalm-singing owls who croon me to sleep each night. I have no directions except to where my raging heart tells me to go. I've left the map I was given in my youth, and now I'm considered out there with the other heretics. However, I've learned that the more I wander, the more wonder I get to see. Yay! So first of all, I'd like to thank Elise for recommending that clip. We were having a good chat on uh, Thursday before our dancing lesson. And uh, I haven't seen Never Ending Story for years. And uh, she just said, oh, that reminds me. In Never Ending Story, remember? So I, if you haven't met Alicia, she's been coming for a few weeks now. Uh, she's one of my dancing students. And if you want to have a good conversation, she's always open to a chat. It's fantastic. Um, so the reason why I played that clip was because over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about isms and about the understanding of how each ism has its own dogma and how all of us can be... Um, in life, find our own areas where we fit and ultimately become slaves to those different things. And um, the, when Anne talked last week a little bit about the whole concept of perspective and fear and how there is no, um, there's no fear in love and things like that, I, I, we then went round for dinner um, last Sunday and I, and I said to, to Dad, I said, it's interesting because it's really challenged me because I'm so aware that although I have a specific perspective, ultimately fear is still the underlying driving force of that thing and when he talked last last week about um innovators and early adopters and you know we've heard that message before I'm aware that I can be somebody who can see things quite early on it's just something that I've always had and I don't know whether that's a, a blessing or a curse in a way um sometimes it can be a curse really but what I'm so aware of that just because you can see something early on it's doesn't always end up being liberating if what you see creates in itself a fear that then ultimately dominates the way that you live and in itself that fear then can become another ism in which you are bound by. Um, so anyway, for the last few weeks while that's all been said, I've been so aware that I've had the scripture, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil, just that one line. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And of course, when I said that, that's when Elise said, oh, it reminds me of never-ending story when, when there's these sphinxes and it's actually his fear that they're responding to, not anything else. 
So the whole point is death comes because of the response to the fear, not because of anything else, that, the, the thing that caused the fear in a way. So first of all, I, I then looked up um, the message version of it. I just thought I'd read it first just to kind of set the scene. So it says, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid. When you walk at my side, your trusty shepherd's your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me all the days of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. And I just thought, if that's not really a, a kind of passage of positivity, then what is, in a way? And it made me think of a conversation that I'd had with one of my close friends at the beginning of lockdowns last March, March 2020. And I was sharing with this particular person things that I was concerned about and things that I saw. And I remember specifically them saying to me, it's not that I don't believe what you're saying, it's I don't know what you, what you want me to do with that information. And of course, we got into a long conversation. I said, well, I don't know what you mean. I'm telling you what I see and what the problem is, X, Y, Z. And the answer was, yes, but you're wanting me to go from a fear of this to a fear of that. And actually, the ultimate story is both our fear. And I thought, actually, I've never really kind of seen it that way. And that doesn't mean that what was being said wasn't necessarily right or had its place in the conversation. But if fear is the driving force, all it ever really does is produce death in the long run, right? And I thought, wow, that's, that's really fascinating. So just briefly, when I look at this last two years particularly, and I've, we've walked the journey as, you know, over the last 17 years in Q as well, for me, one of the things that I'm the most sad about at the end of this period is I watch what fear has done to people and I find that more upsetting than I do anything else that surrounded it. So it's not necessarily the thing that's now become the problem. It's actually the fear that's ingrained. So let me put it this way. Fear is a healthy emotion in that it tells us that certain things might be dangerous or are dangerous. But if we become resident within that fear and we house ourselves there, the fear itself becomes the slavery that we are bound by, right? So when I look around a lot of people, so for example, on one side of the argument, we've got people who are afraid of X because they feel that there's a perceived enemy, right? But then on the other side of the argument, we have people who are afraid of Y because they see that there's a perceived enemy. But what we don't realize is whatever the enemy is, isn't actually the issue. It's the fear that dominates the conversation. So for me, when I looked at the scripture and it says, he prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. I thought, so where is the hope in this message? The hope is there is always going to be stuff around you and enemies. I remember when you talked about he will make his enemies our footstool. The enemies aren't people. The enemies are the stuff. It's, it's disease. It's X. It's Y. You get where I'm coming from, right? The fact is all, it's governments, it's isms, it's all of these things that we view as our enemy. But can we allow our perspective to change in that we allow it to exist and be part of everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, 
But I love the fact that even our house, our motto was pull up a chair. That was our main statement, was it? Pull up a chair. Wherever you're at, pull up a chair. And you know, when I got to end, it says he prepares a table in the midst of my enemies. So I can sit opposite someone who believes one thing, I might believe another, but at the end of it, we're not robbed from because ultimately we banquet together in the midst of that and believe that ultimately we are being guided through the valley. And, and for me, the only answer to that can be life because whilst ever we're banqueting and we're coming together and while ever love becomes the dominant force, there can be no fear in love. So to me, I don't really have a conclusion, but what I'm wanting to say is for me, I know that my, my journey now is going to become more about allowing love to be the dominating force. You see what you see, right? That's not a problem. But within that, can I pull up a chair at the table and can I keep walking through the valley knowing that ultimately I will be comforted in spite of it all? And ultimately that's the, that, yeah, provision will always be made and that his mercies will always be new for us in spite of what we face. So that's really my, my talk today. And actually the song that I'm about to sing kind of goes with that because I feel at the end of what we've faced this last two years, some recovery needs to take place. Um, some people need to recover because of, of, of different things than others. But I would say that um, fear has become a dominating force. And I would like to believe that some of the, you know, some of the words in this, it's, uh, it's better when we talk. It, sometimes it lifts the weights. You know, you need a shoulder to lean on, things like that. Uh, so let these words really speak to you. And ultimately, I hope we can start breaking down some of that fear. Okay. Um, I want to talk for a little bit about a dream I had, a guitar I sold, and a baobab tree. Uh, as I think we've already got so far, we've been uh, inspired by what Anthas brought about isms. Uh, I was asking the other week, have you thought about what your own personal pet-ism is? Because I think that's worth considering when we all come to see, okay, what is it that has been highlighted in me? Well, I had a really weird dream this week <laughs> that I want to tell you about. Um, I think it might highlight something that can help us, maybe even combine some of the stuff we've heard already. So, um... I had a dream about an ism, and it's one I hadn't ever heard of. Anyway, I'll tell you the dream. You'll think I'm really weird, and then we'll talk about it for a bit. In my dream, I was looking at a sink. It was like one of those big old ceramic sinks. And something was thrown into the sink, which was a little scientific test kit pack of pills thing. On the back of this little test kit, it said, perfect aphorism. Perfect Aphorism. Does anyone know what an aphorism is? I, I didn't, and that's why it's really weird. And then I weed on it. There you go. Now you all think I'm proper bizarre. And I hadn't smoked anything, and I maybe had a bit too much cheese the night before, but who knows. Anyway, perfect aphorism. Let's look at perfect first. Perfect's an interesting word, because when we tend to think of perfect, we think of like pristine and flawless. Um, Actually, when you look at the root of the word perfect, a more wholesome understanding of it is complete, like the full, whole picture of something. So we often get it's like, oh, someone who's always good and never makes any mistakes, when it's actually more about embracing the whole picture. Now, does anyone know what an aphorism is? I just want to know how dumb I am in general compared to the rest of society. Hands up if you know what an aphorism is. Oh, I'm not that stupid then. Um, I googled it when I woke up, and an aphorism is 
basically a statement of truth or a wise saying. I think you know some, so let's see if you can help me. Actions speak louder than words. That is an aphorism. Or early to bed, early to rise. Do you know that one? I got this one all the time growing up. Early to bed, early to rise. Yeah, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's not true, but I love that. Okay, how about this one? If you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. That is an aphorism. Look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. So they were some aphorisms I grew up with. Clearly, my subconscious doesn't like the idea of a perfect aphorism. Um, and I think, actually, it, it is something that we probably would reject as a concept. And here's why. One perspective or statement or truth or nice little shareable Facebook meme isn't the whole picture. It's just a truth. Now, I love what Chris was saying about what you see is what you see when you look at that, the painting. And I love that, that, that a piece of art can bring something out of you that can help you on your journey realize who you are, realize maybe what your next step forward is. But I don't think any one aphorism can be perfect because perfection is about seeing the whole picture, not just my one perspective. And I think these isms are essentially our beliefs that become a problem when we set them in stone and think, no, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. And like Joel said, you then just see people as enemies. And I think we could all agree society has become increasingly polarized because people tend to sit on these opposite ends. Now, if we can have a bit of house light and everybody focus your gaze over this way on the wall, it'll also be on the screen. But this is one of the things that prophetically has been said to us as a community. Wisdom is like a baobab tree. If you've been watching Green Planet with uh, David Attenborough, you'll have seen some baobab trees recently. No one individual can embrace it. Let's read that again. Wisdom is like a baobab tree. No one individual can embrace it. Can you see all the people around the tree? By the way, it was, it was you, Claire, that did that, wasn't it? Beautiful. looks amazing. Um, so there's something about our own little personal aphorisms. You might have these words in your head that have been your kind of narrative for your life. And they might be true, and they might work really well for you. But actually, part of wisdom is about going, actually, I'm going to grab hold of your truth, and I'm going to see that and embrace that as well. I'm going to grab hold of yours, and we're all going to hold hands around the baobab tree and realize that wisdom is not just my perspective. It's what have you got to say and bring to the table? What have you got to say and bring to the table? Okay, I want to tell you about my guitar. Um, I think sometimes the reason we don't feel like we can be one of those people around the tree is because we go, well, yeah, but I'm like a bit bashed up and my perspective is flawed because I've got all of this unresolved stuff and I'm damaged. Um, this was my first ever guitar. It's called a Gordon Smith GS60. Anyway, I sold that this week, and it was my first guitar I ever got when I was about 14. It's pretty bashed up, isn't it? A uh, big chunk at the bottom was when it was dropped in about 1995. Uh, I think the big chip at the top is when a microphone fell over it when I wasn't looking carefully and dragged it onto it. It's had a whole load of damage on it. I sold it this week. I put it online thinking, I don't know if anybody will want it, and here's why. All our guitarists over the last 10 years have gone, oh, Dan, that guitar is a piece of junk. It's like, they, never, they didn't want to go near it. It was the guitar that we brought out when they forgot their guitars, and they were like, oh, get the Gordon out, and we'll play that. 
but they hated it. Anyway, I put it online. After about two minutes, I'd had three offers for the full price of it. Um, and the guy who bought it, he said, oh, I was just sat on the loo, and I saw it come up, and I was like, I'm having that straight away. Uh, he runs a music school, and he's a really great guitarist, the other side of York. He has guitars that are worth thousands of pounds, but um, here's some things that he said about this guitar. He's been messaging me all week going, I love this guitar, it's so good. He said, part of the charm is its damage. It looks ace. He said, sometimes perfection doesn't feel right. Um, quite deep for a little Facebook chat. But um, sometimes perfection doesn't feel right. I thought that's quite interesting. Perfection, if we embrace that concept that perfection isn't flawlessness, but it's actually about the whole picture, that can be a bit uncomfortable sometimes when I'm having to embrace perspectives and adopt perspectives that maybe aren't my own and sit naturally with me. Um, but I think we have all got something to bring to the table. And I want you to consider, what is your ism? What have you got to say? Next time we do one of these, why don't you jump up and say something? Because you have something to bring to the table. Now, we've watched the crude clip recently about how the cavemen family had this phrase, which was, never not be afraid. Um, and Anth put a nice little twist on it and said, but here at Q, we say, always never stop asking questions. So I think there's a challenge for us to transition from never not be afraid people to always never stop asking questions. And I think that's part of our embracing wisdom is about just rejecting our own personal isms. Our aphorisms might be amazing. They might have worked great for us. And there is a whole lot of aphorisms we will celebrate but all of them, not one perfect one, all of them, because we all have something to contribute. Um, and I want to finish with a final quote that links us into the next song. So, band, you can be ready. Um, Anth said this a few weeks ago, uh, the first week we did about isms. And the next song is, is about, uh, it's called Oceans, and it's about how we might feel like a, a little drop or a big drip or whatever you feel like. You might feel insignificant and small, but there is a power in actually our collective. Um, so it says, there is not and was never intended to be a Christ tribe, but just a oneness that is capable of, of overcoming all things in love, flowing out of a sense of being. I think there is something that flows through and links all of us. And we all have very different journeys and are all damaged in very different ways like my guitar. But I think once we can all link up and connect in community, we can actually become like the ocean. There's a... Um, there's a line in this song, which I'm trying to remember now. Um, what's the bit at the end of the thing? Uh, just a drop of rain. That's all I am. And we're all the same, but we have the power to make a wave when we come together as one. Now, we might feel quite powerless in society at the moment, thinking that there are powers that are making everything happen and we can't do anything with it. I wonder whether there's more that we can do as a collective than we can as individual, and that's what this song is celebrating, to say, actually, we can do a whole lot when we come together as one. So hopefully that helps us join, embrace, and connect in love. Let's do it. So I'm, just, I'm going to share a little bit about um, the topic of isms that we've been discussing. I've just, I looked on the website just for some of the definitions about it. Just, just get them up. So I'll just read what we've said on um, the church website about what is an ism. It's a distinctive doctrine, cause or theory, an oppressive or specially discriminatory attitude or belief, 
an abnormal state or condition resulting from excess of a specified thing from religion to politics or to addiction or an, and, and adherence to a system. So that's what we've defined as an ism. I'll just put that down a minute. Um, so I, I start off with about a couple of weeks ago, I was washing my hair and I had this thought and oh, that's a really good thought. I thought I want to write that down. I don't want to forget it. And um, the thought, I'll read it out, but it's actually been said tonight kind of in so many different ways to different people and the song, the last song about the ocean and Danny said it, Every, people have said it. So anyway, I wrote it down um, it's about our church. This is not about following a set of rules where everyone is told what to believe. Anthony and Chris want to release us to find who we really are. We want this church to be a group of powerful individuals who are living from their centre and are co-creating together to make something incredible. Um, that's, that's the thought that I, I had um, so I want to share some of my journey and experiences with isms. And when I um, sat down to like think about what I'm going to say, I have to say, and I'm sure I know that there are a lot of people who have lots of thoughts like this go around in the head. There's all these thoughts about, well, when I get up here, I do feel nervous about it and feel like Joel has said, and it's to do with the thoughts going around about what am, I going to say? what am I going to say? Is it going to sound stupid? What are people going to think? And I have all these silly thoughts going on, and I thought... Right, these thoughts, I know, I believe those thoughts are not who I really am. The real me is under the thoughts. So I thought, right, I'll make a motivation, an intention to like cut through just all the thoughts. And I, and I just, it was like a prayer, I prayed really. And I said, um, I want you to give me something to say that will genuinely help people and bring them to a better feeling place. And that, that is my motivation. I know that's the real me, that's what I want. Before, you know, if I get rid of all the thoughts and the fear, it's to just genuinely just say something that would help somebody. Um, so anyway, when I said that, I started to just write and I feel that the things that I wrote are what I want to say. So I am, I hope it's okay, but I'm going to read most of it because I feel that that's, that was the things that came out when I started to um, think about it. So um, I would just start by saying maybe things are a little confusing at the moment and you're in a place where you don't know what you believe. But I actually think that's a good place to be in. Um, I think it's a lot better than thinking you know everything and nothing is going to change your opinion. Um, I think we just need to just keep walking and listening to that God connection inside us. I, I believe we've all got our own guidance system where when we feel we can feel and know when something's right for us and then we get a kind of, well, I do, and I get kind of spark of release or of clarity. I kind of feel freedom and joy. And that's when I kind of know that something's connected with me. I know that's right. Um, and an ism would tell you what you should do and what you should believe. But we want, I believe, as a church, we want you to be who you are and know the power inside you. I feel that's really that releasing for you to know your connection um and i'd say a lot's changed from when i don't know you do those quote marks when i became a christian because i don't really know kind of what that means really now about 30 years ago to now but um i have to say that 
at everything that was ever real, where I felt connected with God and aware of God's presence, that part has never changed in this journey. That is the same. It's just evolving as I'm growing and developing. So the core of my faith, is, everything might seem to have changed around, but actually it's exactly just the same there. It's the, the real part of it. Um, the stuff that's fallen away is what I think is the isms. Um, a, lot of, a lot of it never really settled with me anyway. It was a kind of add-on bits to something that was real and incredible. Because um, when I feel that real connection, it's just feel that total loved and accepted. And um, I'm not saying I feel like that all the time or even maybe a lot of the time. But um, I know when I don't, it's because I've lost that connection to my, who I really am. Um, and I've talked with a few people about this journey I'm on, and um, I recognise that part of me that wants to be like part of a club, and I think that's what isms are, they're like clubs where everyone believes the same, and they maybe give you a false sense of security and belonging, um, but I don't think that can bring you, let you come into that place where you love being you. It's, I don't think it's, um, it's sort of going to give you what you're really looking for. Um, sometimes I can feel a bit lonely and think it would be nice to just be in a club and believe the same as other people. Um, and I think I probably feel like that when I've lost my centre of connection and forgotten who I am. But I just, I actually know that wouldn't satisfy me now because I, I actually can't just buy into a package. I can't take on the bits I don't believe just so I can be in part of a club. Um, I can't really pretend things that aren't true to me now. I've, uh, um, I have actually learned lots of things from other religions and from looking at other people's life journeys. And there's some things that are, um, are amazing and, in, and amazingly helpful, but I just know that I can't just couldn't just buy into a package of everything just because some bits of it are amazing, because it's got to be true. I can just take the bits that are real um, um, oh yeah, I just wanted to say as well that on this journey I've just come to appreciate um, Jesus much more um, because I just think what, how amazing, wow, was he, what, the power of his life, the connection he had to God and what he did and I can genuinely say now if I say thank you Jesus, I just truly, I mean it and the isms before used to tell us to say that and we don't really didn't really know what I was saying, but it, it's it's real because I just think, wow. Um, I just wanted to to mention that and um, saying there's been some and there still are some really scary parts along this journey of letting go of some of the isms. But um, I think what's kept me going is the realization that um, all the real parts of my faith, where I feel God, experience love, be who I am, are still the same. It's all the unnecessary bits that have fallen away. Um, so I just was going to finish by reading that initial thought again of what I feel that we as a church, and I know Anthony and Chris have said that they totally agree with this anyways. Um, we're not about following a set of rules where everyone is told what to believe. Anthony and Chris want to release us to find who we really are. We want this church to be a group of powerful individuals who are living from their centre and are co-creating together to make something incredible. So thank you very much. <laughs> okay, so um, we were reminded about that clip and about the art and how um, what we see is often just a reaction to what has been before and that was the, what the minimalist movement was and I'm trying to oh I can't see a single one of you 
It's, it's like black. Um, it, I was, I've definitely been trying to pay attention to my reactions because our reactions can be really helpful, actually, because they can tell us a lot about ourselves, but they can also be incredibly uncomfortable. And I was thinking as well about how last week, um, Anthony talked about how fear is impatient. And that really struck me because when I am in fear, my reaction is to have a plan. Um, because then I will know, and then I have a plan, and then I will follow the plan. And sometimes, because we are reacting to what has been before, like they were with the art, and it got a big reaction, because it's like we've not seen this before, we can be trying to pursue a different experience or avoid a different experience, because we're actually impatient, and then we want the conclusion we've come to now. We really want that validation. I've really recognised some of what has been heard tonight, and I've also written things down along those lines, that we want to belong... And somehow thinking the same as everyone else and believing the same as everyone else and those isms and all of that helps us with our loneliness. And, you know, I would argue that most of us feel lonely at least a few times a week. I think that's what other people don't tell you, that you feel lonely. But, you know, you feel lonely when you're trying to have your own thoughts. You feel less lonely in a group where you go with the accepted thoughts, but then they don't really satisfy fully so you're sometimes torn between I want to belong to a group and I don't know if I think the same as you and we all go through a little bit of that battle Um, and then we get that schism that went along with the ism because then we think but why can't you see what I'm seeing why can't you get this yet it's really obvious why are you seeing that that's so okay I mean I love when they laugh at the end I mean they just laugh at the guy because they're like are you are you kidding? What are you talking about? But yet when we're the one being laughed at and we're the one everyone thinks is stupid, that's really hard to then have the confidence to walk through and uh, get over the fear. Um, but for me, it's that we've all got to be willing to look at the painting and have a view on the painting and allow others their view on the painting, which we've heard, and to stay really curious. If you see that someone else sees something, that your first reaction is to laugh, you could stand there a little bit longer and think... What might I be missing? And maybe I could have a little look. And maybe if they're this passionate about it, I might be the one that's not actually uh, fully getting it. But this can be very hard and because we do want to belong. So just finally tonight, um, if we can't find a way... Did I say tonight? I got it right one week in the last two years. Um, If we It's because it's so dark. The lights were on, it would help. Um, That doesn't mean to put the lights on. If we can't find a way to belong to ourselves and our own reactions first, we can become such pleasers of a group that we're not awake to our own ways of seeing and our own ways of responding and what that tells us about the world, how we react, our own patterns, and then ultimately our own growth. Um, When I am at my most anxious, I become my most pleasing to others because I'm avoiding myself and my own feelings. I will make it about everybody else. And I (laughs) recognise... I wasn't going to say this, but I will. Um, I recognised this the most this week, that my anxiety was at fairly high alert when I pulled up to some traffic lights near my house and there was lots of cars behind me and lots of cars coming the other way and I needed to turn right. And instead of making all of the cars behind me wait because I need to turn around, I went straight on and I went the longer way round. And as I did this, I just thought, Jenny, you're anxious because when I'm anxious, I start to overplease because it's a way of 
you know, that, and we all have reactions. You all have similar, so you can laugh at me, but you have your own. Um, now, I, we don't realise we're attached to a pattern until your world gets shaken. And then when your world gets shaken, you start to see those patterns more and more. And this week I had this thought about the kaleidoscope. You know a kid's toy with a kaleidoscope where you look through and there's a really beautiful pattern. But then as soon as they tilt it slightly, it all goes a bit mushy until a new pattern forms. And it's beautiful. Every version of the pattern is beautiful, but there comes moments in that process where you're completely broken down and you're a nothing. And if you find, we talked about the middle way a few weeks ago, and that's really helped me so much because I think in the middle parts of life, we have to rush, we we can be in a rush to find a new pattern. And actually what the white canvas said to me is that when there's times in my life where there's change and where I need to tilt and where I need to look at my reaction. We need to not rush to find a new pattern. Sometimes we need to stare at the white canvas, wonder about what might be, consider what might form in that space and don't rush to define something too soon Um, because that's, just stare at it for a bit and think, what do I see? What do I see now? And that be still and know I am God used to mean very different things to me when, quite honestly, God meant very different things to me. But the be still and know I am is really powerful. So in everything you've heard tonight, have your, this morning, in everything you've heard this morning, have your reactions to it and then hold your reactions to it. Stare at them, consider them, Let them not form into a pattern that you dismiss, that you laugh at, that you worry about. Just be with a confidence to just think, I'm just going to be still and stare at that a little bit longer and see what that might form as a new pattern in my life. And then when you get that one, turn it again and keep pioneering. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you are listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>